The homilies or sermons contained in these podcasts were delivered by Deacon Joe Dietz, a permanent deacon serving at St. Edward Catholic Church in Ashland, Ohio, a parish of the Diocese of Cleveland. Each homily is preceded by a reading of the Gospel of the Day. All these homilies are the same in content as those preached. They have been recreated to improve the sound quality of the podcast. Because the reading of the Passion is so lengthy, and for consideration of the time of those listening to this podcast, I've placed the homily at the beginning. For those of you who wish to hear the Passion, it will follow this homily. You may have noticed my countenance this morning is not in keeping with the traditional morning sad, sorrowful demeanor we have come to expect from one another during Good Friday services. I hope my joy on this solemn occasion is not scandalous to any of you, but if it is, you have St. Augustine to blame. For it was while reading one of his sermons in the Office of Readings this past Monday of Holy Week that I realized Good Friday should be a day of joy and not sorrow. To quote Augustine, The death of the Lord our God should not be a cause of shame for us, Rather, it should be our greatest hope, our greatest glory. In taking upon himself the death that he found in us, he has most faithfully promised to give us life in him, such as we cannot have of ourselves. He loved us so much that sinless himself, he suffered for us sinners the punishment we deserved for our sins. Brethren, let us fearlessly acknowledge and even openly proclaim that Christ was crucified for us. Let us confess it, not in fear, but in joy, not in shame, but in glory. End quote. Understandably, in the past, we may have approached this as a day of regret because the narrative we hear in the Passion, both on Palm Sunday and today, is one written from the perspective of those who experienced it as such themselves. They experienced it as an end, and not as a beginning. We know better now, because we see this day not as it appeared to be, but for what it truly is in light of the resurrection, which made a bad Friday into Good Friday, not simply because Jesus rose from the dead, but because in doing so, it revealed and confirmed the Father's glorious plan for our salvation through the death of his Son. This, of course, was not apparent to his followers, who went to the tomb to anoint his body, not to see if it had risen. The angels had to remind them of his words. They buried him with a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes and returned with more spices on Easter morning. This was a preservation not intended for a short three-day stay in the tomb, but forever. In Matthew, it was the Pharisees who were worried about Jesus rising, but the disciples were simply preoccupied with his death. As it says, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise from the dead. But they would soon learn of the cause for celebration concealed in this apparent tragedy. As Peter said to the crowd at Pentecost, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, who, as it says in Romans, did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all so that we might be reconciled to God by the death of his son. For as the Catechism states, quoting 1 John in Romans 5, By this giving up of his own Son for our sins, God manifests that his plan for us is one of benevolent love, prior to any merit on our part. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his Son to be the expiation for our sins. God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The desire to embrace his Father's plan of redeeming love inspired Jesus' whole life. For his redemptive passion was the very reason for his incarnation. That's a quote from the Catholic Catechism. Think about that. His redemptive passion was the very reason for his incarnation. That means that when we celebrate the joy of his miraculous conception in the Annunciation, his wondrous birth in the Nativity, his presentation in the temple, his baptism in the Jordan, his transfiguration on the mountain. In each of these experiences, we celebrate events that led him with full knowledge to today, his glorious sacrifice for our redemption. How can we not celebrate this day as a day of joy and glory? In suffering and death, his humanity became the free and perfect instrument of his divine love, which desires the salvation of men. Indeed, out of love for his Father and for men, whom the Father wants to save, Jesus freely accepted his passion and death. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. John chapter 10. And it was the passion and death of Jesus that gave meaning to the Eucharist at the Last Supper. Without the sacrifice of his body and the shedding of his blood, there was no way he could give it to us as an enduring sacrificial food and drink, a nourishment for the journey he would soon enable us to travel to a now attainable eternal life with the Father. For it was on the eve of his passion, while still free, Jesus transformed this Last Supper with the apostles into the memorial of his voluntary offering to the Father for the salvation of men. This is my body, which is given for you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Is this then not a day to joyfully celebrate our redemption? Especially in this time of challenge, I think it is a good time to look to two figures in today's gospel that saw this day as a beginning and not an end. I speak of Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. For while it may seem they were simply minor players in their roles of burying Jesus, upon further inspection, there is more taking place. You see, both Joseph and Nicodemus were members of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling class. They were both, no doubt, devout observers of the law. And while we know they were secret followers of Jesus for fear of the other Jewish officials, it is in the act of burying Jesus that they finally found their faith at a time when the belief in Jesus of so many others was being shaken. For you see, in claiming the body of Jesus and seeing to its burial, they were doing more than simply removing it from public view before the Sabbath. They were doing more than simply exposing their heretofore marginal relationship with him. In handling his dead body, they were, according to the law, making themselves ritually unclean for seven days. And not just for any seven days, but for the seven days of Passover, one of the most important holy periods of the Jewish calendar. Their actions were more than an acknowledgement of a hidden, fledgling belief. 
they were clearly making a choice for Jesus over the old law of their ancestors. For while they may not have foreseen his resurrection, through his suffering and death they experienced his redemption. In that mysterious, contradictory, confusing, challenging time of Good Friday, they found their faith. And so too should we. For what could be more confusing and challenging than a secular world where panic is caused at the bank, not by someone coming in wearing gloves and a mask, but by someone coming in without them? Or a spiritual life in which we prove our love for one another and for the church, not by going to church, but by staying away. But in spite of all this, today is still a day of joy and celebration, for we know we are redeemed and we know our Redeemer lives. And we are assured of his love, for no one has greater love than he laid down his life for his friends. So let us celebrate this day with joy and glory. Answering our questions of fear and doubt with confidence and faith, as Paul said in his letter to the Romans. What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but handed him over for us all, how will he not also give us everything else along with him? Who will bring a charge against God's chosen ones? It is God who acquits us. Who will condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, rather was raised, who also is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. What will separate us from the love of Christ? Will anguish or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or COVID-19? or the sword. No, in all these things, we conquer overwhelmingly through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor present things, nor future things, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ According to John Jesus went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to where there was a garden into which he and his disciples entered. Judas, his betrayer, also knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas got a band of soldiers and guards from the chief priests and the Pharisees and went there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, knowing everything that was going to happen to him, went out and said to them, Whom are you looking for? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am. Judas, his betrayer, was also with them. When he said to them, I am, they turned away and fell to the ground. So he again asked them, Whom are you looking for? They said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill what he had said. I have not lost any of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. 
Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its scabbard. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father gave me? So the band of soldiers, the tribune, and the Jewish guards seized Jesus, bound him, and brought him to Annas first. He was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had counseled the Jews that it was better that one man should die rather than the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Now the other disciple was known to the high priest, and he entered the courtyard of the high priest with Jesus. But Peter stood at the gate outside. So the disciple, the acquaintance of the high priest, went out and spoke to the gatekeeper and brought Peter in. Then the maid, who was the gatekeeper, said to Peter, You are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the guards were standing around a charcoal fire, and they had made that they had made because it was cold and were warming themselves. Peter was also standing there keeping warm. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I have spoken publicly to the world. I have always taught in a synagogue or in the temple area where all the Jews gather, and in secret I have said nothing. Why ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the temple guards standing there struck Jesus and said, Is this the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing there keeping warm, and they said to him, You are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the one whose Peter ear had cut off, said, Didn't I see you in the garden with him? Again Peter denied it, and immediately the cock crowed. Then they brought Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium. It was morning, and they themselves did not enter the praetorium in order not to be defiled, so that they could eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. At this Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews answered him, We do not have the right to execute anyone, in order that the word of Jesus might be fulfilled that he said, indicating the kind of death he would die. So Pilate went back into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own, or have others told you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom does not belong to this world. If my kingdom did belong to this world, my attendants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not here. So Pilate said to him, Then you are a king. Jesus answered, You say I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? When he had said this, he again went out to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at Passover. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this one, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him scourged, and the soldiers wove a crown out of thorns and placed it on his head and clothed him in a purple cloak. And they came to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him repeatedly. Once more Pilate went out and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you, so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. 
So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple cloak, and he said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the guards saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Now when Pilate heard this statement, he became even more afraid, and went back into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? Jesus did not answer him. So Pilate said to him, Do you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you, and I have power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me if it had not been given to you from above. For this reason, the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Consequently, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release him, you are not a friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and seated him on the judge's bench in the place called Stone Pavement, in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was preparation day for Passover, and it was about noon. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and carrying the cross himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Now many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four shares, a share for each soldier. They also took his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top down. So they said to one another, Let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it will be, in order that the passage of Scripture might be fulfilled that says, They divided my garments among them, and for my vesture they cast lots. This is what the soldiers did. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdala. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his home. After this, aware that everything was now finished, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst. There was a vessel filled with common wine, so they put a sponge soaked in wine on a sprig of hyssop and put it up to his mouth. When Jesus had taken the wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he handed over the spirit. Now since it was preparation day, in order that the bodies might not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath day of that week was a solemn one. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs be broken and that they be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and then the other one who was crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one soldier thrust his lance into his side and immediately blood and water flowed out. An eyewitness has testified and his testimony is true. He knows that he is speaking the truth so that you also may come to believe.
For this happened so that the scripture passage might be fulfilled. Not a bone of it will be broken. And again, another passage says, They will look upon him whom they have pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, secretly a disciple of Jesus for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate if he could remove the body of Jesus, and Pilate permitted it. So he came and took his body. Nicodemus, the one who had first come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing about 100 pounds. They took the body of Jesus and bound it with burial cloths along with the spices according to the Jewish burial custom. Now in the place where he had been crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been buried. So they laid Jesus there because of the Jewish preparation day, for the tomb was close by. The Gospel of the Lord. For questions or comments on this podcast, email deaconjoe2017 at gmail.com.